iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to The Game with me, Gab Marcotti. Today I'm joined by Alison Rudd and Rory K. Smith, and over the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to try and make sense of the last week in football. You'll notice we don't have a phone guest, which is good for you, because you get to enjoy more of each of us. We're going to be discussing the appointment of Paolo Di Cagno, and we'll be looking at the exciting relegation battle unfolding, but let's start at Stamford Bridge. Roy, it was an FA Cup quarterfinal replay um, on, an, on an Easter Monday. There was nothing else on. Uh, you're, you're talking about the champions of Europe versus the champions elect, likely here, uh, here in England. And yet, to me, it all felt slightly flat yesterday. Um, was that just me or was it just because the United didn't play very well? Probably partly United not playing very well. I think they weren't helped by the fact that Fergie changed his side so much obviously Van Persie on the bench Rooney, Rooney, didn't, Rooney didn't feature it, that doesn't kind of lend itself to a, to, to a feeling of, of, of tremendous importance um, but it's, it's, it's this curious kind of hinterland that the FA Cup occupies now where Benitez was, was widely lambasted for changing his side for the Southampton game at the weekend with the FA Cup quarterfinal replay in, in mind and it was sort of taken as a grave insult to Chelsea that he he was prioritising winning a trophy over finishing fourth, which obviously is the exact opposite of what most people are accused of all of the time. Um, but it's interesting that, yeah, obviously the football public in general doesn't maybe associate the FA Cup with being particularly important, which I find quite odd. Well, um, we'll get to uh, Benitez's priorities, but first of all, I also want to ask you about Sir Alex's priorities, because when... When I saw the, the team he put out for the game in Sunderland, I was I was really really surprised. Well, first of all, I was surprised Rooney wasn't there, and then we discovered he picked up one of his mystery injuries while on England duty that we only sort of found out forty eight hours later. But I look at it and I say, all right, you don't have Rooney. Chicharito has come back from from Mexico, fine. But you start Welbeck and Van Persie against Sunderland when you have this enormous lead in the table. And you've got this really big FA Cup uh, game coming up on Monday. That didn't really make any sense to me because it was obvious then that Van Persie couldn't start on Monday and he didn't. He did. I didn't think he started because he's – the striking options that uh, Ferguson had, I, I, I think he played his two most informed strikers from the start at Stamford Bridge. And it's psychologically better to bring Van Persie off the bench than haul him off because he's gone off the boil. Roy, don't you think? You, uh, no, I don't. I, <laughs> I, personally, I think, I think especially with Rooney out, you ought to play your biggest, scariest guy, and I would have saved him for, for, for the game on Monday. I, I actually hadn't thought of that, but you do wonder whether that's Ferguson tacitly acknowledging that Van Persie's not playing that well. One goal in 12 games. Yeah, which, which is... But then there's... 
football's not just about goals and if his overall contribution was enough to warrant inclusion then he probably would have started but it is, it is a suggestion that I mean, Welbeck is playing very well at the moment but it's it's kind of Fergie hinting that maybe Van Persie's yeah, done off the boil and that he maybe thought that he had the better chance of winning if, if he played Welbeck and Hernandez but it's difficult because I, I don't know if Ferdi thinks the FA Cup's that important but I'm certain that he thinks beating Benitez is important I think it's, he, he believes beating Benitez is important also he knows that United would have played City in, uh, in the semi-final um, he's on track to win absurdly I actually kind of I couldn't believe it I think this would be his fifth double. He, he won one with, uh, or had they gone on to win the FA Cup and win the Premier League, which obviously no foregone conclusion. But it's amazing because I remember, you know, years ago, like winning the double was like, whoa, amazing. Spurs did this a million years ago. Nobody ever does this. And then the guy wins like three doubles. Well, there, there was one a few years ago that was actually a disappointment, wasn't it? When he did the double and it was like, well, it's not a treble. So <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I, that, I don't know. I, I, that for me surprised me a little bit um, and, and I also think that you know sometimes uh, the guy's always rotated but I, I was just surprised and it, it suggested to me that maybe he doesn't think the Premier League is a, that much of a foregone conclusion I mean I, I don't know I kind of get the feeling that he could have played Powell and um, Giggs and, and himself against Sunderland <laughs> and even if they'd lost that game it wouldn't have really it's not really going to impact the title race Do you not, do you not feel that Ferguson in some way, accepts that Chelsea are the better team this season. When, he hasn't quite got to grips with how to beat Chelsea, and I think he was quite negative in the FA Cup replay. Very negative, actually. You know, he was, he was, it was, it was. Let's just pack out. Let's just, you know, let's make, let's make Carrick. You don't, you don't need Carrick and Jones doing that smothering job. You don't really, unless you're accepting Chelsea have the more, the, the better flair players. I, I felt there was a. F- it seems odd because I don't think Ferguson has that in his psyche generally but I think he fears Chelsea I don't think he quite knows how to beat them and he thought I'll try and keep it nil-nil and bring on Van Persie and maybe he'll do something possibly that seemed to be it there are, there are certain I mean obviously this, it seems weird to be saying that given that there are so many points clear at the top of the Premier League they're so obviously the best team in England but yeah maybe on, a, on any given day he's not quite sure how to stop that little the three-quarter and the way he talk, spoke about them afterwards mm. that trio of tiki-takis it would, there was a, a sense of awe about it. The the estimable Tony Castorino in today's Times newspaper, available from all good news agents for one pound, has said that the thing that United are lacking most of all is a player in that kind of that ticky tacky um, role, that te- number ten role. Does he? Ferguson's been using cleverly a lot, and cleverly's not in the same caliber as all the other players in that who play in that position you've got Bale who does it for Spurs Chisola who does it for Arsenal Silva does it for City and when he doesn't do it for City Yaya Torre does and United who've obviously steamrolled the lead completely they don't have a player in that position Just I, I don't get Tom Cleverley I don't get the fuss I think he's alright but I'm not sure if he was at a mid-table side whether he would be the best player at that team well, I mean, I think in terms of the, the small um, attacking midfielder with, with lots of creativity and technique um you know, they, they do have guys. I mean, I'm sure Kagawa Kagawa to do it, but he's could, he's been slow to adapt. Yeah, I'm sure he will in time, but he's been slow to adapt. But I also wonder if it almost, you know, for a guy who changes his formation um, and his uh, um, his lineup all the time, I don't know that Sir Alex is really wed to the idea. I think he likes to have somebody who can do that in certain games, um, but I don't think you know he sees the need to have 
a guy like that who'll be a fixture in the side the way Sid Carrick is. Possibly, yeah, possibly. And that might explain why he, he, he decided not to sign Schneider, who he was so heavily linked with last summer. He didn't. Schneider. Whatever. <laughs> I meant Rob Schneider, the, the American comic actor. Um, <laughs> the, he didn't choose to sign him or Wesley Schneider. But. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is Chidawa. Chidawa is meant to do that, but it has been a slower kind of adapt- adaptation process than maybe Ferguson was expecting. I think him. Ferguson knows playing at their best, Chelsea are a better team than United. But Chelsea I think, it rank- I think that rankles. Say, I think it? that rankles. Well, I think, and, I th- and I think he's right. I think when Chelsea is that because play Rafa's well, they better? play really well. Is that because Rafa is better than Sir Alex, in your opinion? No, I just know Rafa inherited these players. They, they are, they are quite. When when matters on song, di- dictating the way Chelsea play, it's it, they are a, they're a joy to watch in the way that well, United are not. Um, let's get to Rafa for a minute, though, because one of the things that. Um, one of the things that I heard from from the anti-Rafa um, brigade is that, oh, look, Rafa only cares about his CV, and that's why he went and he rattled off all the trophies he's won. He doesn't really care about the good of the club, and so he's happily playing the scrubs at Southampton and getting overrun and losing the game and possibly compromising fourth place, which is what matters to um, to Chelsea, just so he can add another you know another cup. To uh, um, to his CV, uh, and that will help him get another job. Now, I personally think the argument is uh, completely idiotic because I'm assuming his next employers will look at okay, what was Rafa's job spec when he took over? Finished top four? Did he do it? Yes or no? But I want to get somebody else's view, and I can kind of guess what Rory's view might be, but I'm sure we'll hear it in a minute. Allison, I no, I I agree with you, Gab. I think he's he's told. I think he feels he has to now say top four is priority. And he's not thick. He knows that if he doesn't finish in the top four, that will affect his CV. But he cannot He cannot help himself. He wants trophies really badly. Roy, you have some insight because, of course, you're one of the few people who read his book. Um, <laughs> do you – sorry. Um, but yeah, you, you did read his book, right? I did read his yeah. book yeah, several okay. times, yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you buy into this? Or, well, 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 what's your take? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't accept that a professional manager is going to say like, "Oh, I want to win the club. The club may have this objective, um, but I'm going to do what I think is best, and I'll sack, I'll gamble here because I really want to win more trophies." I mean, well, in terms of the criticism, I think it's fairly obvious that if he'd put a really strong side out against Southampton and then put a weakened team out against United, the people at Chelsea, I, I, I don't know what proportion of the fan base that is now, because the the dissent has has diminished a little bit, but the people at Chelsea, the substantial number of fans who don't like Rafa and will never like him would have said oh well he shouldn't have been putting a weakened team out against Manchester United we need to win trophies he's, he's damned if he does and he damned, he's damned if he doesn't that is football I, I don't buy this idea that, that trying to win the FA Cup and the Europa League automatically means he's given up on fourth I think that's complete nonsense or you know they're, they're, it's not like they're now eighth they're, they're still fourth I think he just just for just in the interest of uh, of, of clarity and for record keeping, uh, Chelsea are fourth. Uh, they have a two point lead over uh, over Arsenal, and they're two points behind Spurs, who played one more game. Yeah, with the game in hand. So the, the, Chelsea are sort of mathematically they're still in the best position of all of them to finish in the top four. But regardless, right of all of them, probably Manchester United are. No, I meant all, all of those yes. three. Yeah. Um, and of course Everton, who can't be discounted yet. Um, but yeah, I, th- I don't think he's. Decided. Oh, I can't do all of this. I think he thinks he can to win at least one competition and finish in the top four, which I think is probably perfectly sensible. But I think there is an, a broader, a broader issue, which is that 
if he has decided he wants to win a trophy to sort of bolster his CV how on earth can Chelsea object to that given the way the fans have treated him and the club have treated him what, what has he done what have the club done for Rafa Benitez and the, it's hard to say this without sounding biased to make him think well actually I should look after the long term interests of the club rather than my own long term interests Chelsea are the club that they deserve to be in the sense that Roman Abramovich has turned them into a place that uses footballers and managers it is only right that the footballers and the managers use them back and Rafa said that himself on Saturday after the defeat at Southampton Uh, we were in a huddle and we were trying to get him to say something about Ferguson either I can't stand the man and I'm not going to shake his hand or maybe something like he is actually someone I really admire I mean something something and he did what he ended up saying was Man United are so good because they have stuck with one man for so long and that is how you create success it's it's difficult because I'm not sure that you Whenever, whenever a manager says anything, as Alison sort of alludes to, you have to remember what questions they're being asked. I don't, I don't, th- I've never got the impression from Rafa that he is particularly aggrieved that Chelsea haven't given him a ten-year contract. I think he knows that he's there to do a job. But that's what I mean. He is there to do a job, right? What Chelsea want him to do is to finish in the, t- in the top four and, and potentially win a trophy. Originally, probably what they wanted him to do was challenge for the title yeah, when he took yeah. over. But yes. Although I think the decision was made, and Matt Hughes, my estimable colleague, would, would stand this up, or would certainly agree with me, because I stole his opinion. But I think in, basically what Chelsea panicked about was they thought Di Matteo wouldn't get them, get them in the top four. They sacked Di Matteo because they need to be in the top four. So that is their priority. Challenging for the title would have been a bonus, I think. But Chelsea made it pretty clear that they weren't going to give him more time regardless of what happened so why shouldn't he then take this position and use it to his own ends which is to, bo- to boost his own CV to make himself look better for future, for future employers there is no reward for him looking at Chelsea's long term future but what was that huddle like with Rafa was it like Rafa will you, hate, will, will you shake Sir Alex's hand Rafa will you spit in his face Rafa yeah. do you like Sir Alex was it all like that it was very much like that yeah that's, that, that's kind of what, what what I expected yeah we try to get people to say things, right? <laughs> you know, let's see. We, we either wanted to say Sir Alex is still the best, or we want to say Sir Alex. Well, one one nice interchange was one journalist said uh, Ferguson says he doesn't like to knock a man when he's down. Are you down, Rafa? Are you down? <laughs> and Rafa, Rafa, you know he's got that switch on smile to show that I'm I'm I, I get it. I really get it, and I'm not I'm not I'm not weird and autistic. I get it. I get it. I get you all. I get you what what the game is here. So he put on his uh, switched on smile and he said no. Do I look down? Do I look? Do I look like a man that's down? But are you down, Rafa? Do I look? Do I look down? <laughs> you can't really print any of this. It's a good laugh at the time. Easily, sometimes I wish, like you know, the world could see the absurdity of uh, of our job. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, frankly. Um, right. Enough FA Cup because we all want to talk about the Premier League because it's the biggest and best and brightest and crash bang wallop and all that. Especially you, Rory. Um, big. Or a big game with big relegation implications last night. Um, Fulham and, uh, and, and QPR. Um, QPR lost. They were horrible in, in the first half. They found themselves 3-0 down against... I'm sorry, I don't mean this with any kind of disrespect, but Fulham, um, a Fulham side that have got nothing at this stage. Of the, I mean, they're, they're not playing for anything, right? But they still put in the effort and... When Christopher Samba and uh, Clint Hill defend like that, uh, they find themselves 3-0 up. They, they get back to 3-2, um, but it's not enough. And now they're joint bottom with, uh, with Reading. They're uh, seven points off fourth bottom. But even then, that's Wigan with a point in hand. So realistically, you'd expect uh, eight points. And also, they're, uh, 
they have a horrible goal difference. Um, can we assume QPR are down at this stage? Anybody want to? I, I think we really have to rewind a few seconds and have a go at you for your Fulham. They've got nothing to play for at this stage of the season because you are you're going back to your Italian Serie A roots there because in this country, Gab, you always play like it matters. Yeah, never, never, never would Fulham turn up at Craven Cottage in mid-table nothingness, which which isn't strictly true, and think. We have. They, it just doesn't happen in this culture. I'm no. defending our culture. We do not. No team turns up thinking, "Well, we're pretty safe. We're not going to get into Europe. Shall we bother?" No, no. no but, but what they do is that I think. And sorry, I'll, 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 I think we saw this last night. Is oh look, they've gifted us three goals in the second half. Let's just go out there and let's try to play ba- play well and and put on a show and take some take some chances and uh, and, and just play the game without necessarily. The the pressure or the or the concentration that we would normally go out and display if, if we were in a cup final or it was or a sort was a of game. cup final for Fulham. They, they're, they're, the that's their cup. that's their big rival QPR. It's the only song they sing is an anti QPR. They don't even sing anti Chelsea songs anymore at Fulham. It's about QPR. QPR got their first win of the season against Fulham. They were utterly embarrassed. I've never seen Yol quite so angry. They were they were they were hurting from that and the uh, crowd. Which are often a little, a little on, on the quiet side as, as Premier League crowds go. They were they were chomping for it. There, there was no sense in which this was an, an easy task for QPR last I mean, night. But Fulham happened to be Alison's local club. I might add. I, I, I always agree with everything Alison says. I think that her her anti-Italian rant <laughs> was slightly slightly unfair on on a proud nation and a proud people, but. I think that, that, yeah, I know what you mean. That it, it's inter- If it had been someone else, if it hadn't been a local rival in that position, if it had been kind of a Swansea or a West Brom, then maybe... I do think that when, when you're safe, when you've got nothing to go for, particularly towards the last sort of eight games of the season, you do suffer from Charltonitis, where it's not that you're not trying, it's just that it takes a lot more to summon up the level of, of intensity. No, team, I disagree. No, I think traditionally, if you were to go back and look, you, some, of, some of the best football teams produce in this country is when they've, they've in theory, got not much to play. When the pressure's when they have off no they, pressure. can, they can cut loose. Yeah. And I want to go back and uh, um, I just take a quick gander at this and just get, get a sense of where we are in terms of, uh, um, in terms of the relegation battle. Um, as you said, QPR and Reading um, are both on 23 points. This podcast is alarmingly sounding like you reading out the lead table, Dan. I, I know. It's, it's part of the fun. <laughs> it's, we're going back to basics here. Um, do anybody want to argue that they, 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 they? I guess they both still have a shot at staying up. Or red, it's a red in a dawn, tiny one. Red in a dawn, right. and QP- QPR. I think are probably gone, but I, it, the gap isn't quite. It, it, there's so many teams involved. There's so many teams that could collapse, and we're going to talk about the Canio in a bit. But there's so many teams that. I mean, Stoke have, have won one in twelve. They're dropping like a stone. Norwich look awful. There's. There's so many teams that are around that you, you can't quite rule QPR out because they do have players who can win them games. But I think Reading are gone because they're just not good enough. Um, Villa are on, uh, are on 30 points. Um, they took the lead against Liverpool at the weekend, weren't able to, uh, to hang on. Um, Wigan also on 30 points, but they have um, the game in hand. We, we talk about I me. Mean, Alison alluded to this. Wigan playing well at this stage of the season. Um, what's curious about Wigan too is they've played a very settled lineup this year. 
he's hardly rotated. He's played most of his best eleven most of the year. Obviously, they you know they're not going off from competing in Europe or anything. Um, you, you, I wonder if to some degree fatigue is going to going to come in there. And then you have Sunderland on thirty one points. Are you guys including Newcastle on thirty three, Norwich, Stoke, Southampton uh, on thirty four. We including them in the relegation. Yeah, round? I think nodding. I think they're all involved, aren't they? No, I think Norwich are. I'm not sure about Newcastle. But Norwich have one I more mean, point yeah, than Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of how they look, yeah, Newcastle you'd assume have got yeah. too many good players, and they've, they've, they've played so well at the weekend as yeah. well. But we'll get to that. Um, no, I, but if I, I was at Everton Stoke on Saturday evening, lucky you. Well, I volunteered because I had I had, <laughs> I had Easter in, in Yorkshire with the family, so I had to, I had to be in the north. So I actually volunteered for the the purgatory that was Everton against Stoke. Brilliant goal from Kevin Marais, who's a very good player. Um, but Stoke. Stoke play five they've got seven names left five of which are against the teams I think in the bottom six so Stoke potentially could play Kinmaker in that sense that if they if they drop points to one of them but not the others then they could they could kind of wait the, wait the battle but I, I wouldn't rule Stoke out of the relegation battle at all I think they're in it they're not they do not look like getting points it looks to me like teams have worked Stoke out at last alright People are um, people love it when we go in and we make bold uh, predictions. Uh, I personally think it's kind of lame and stupid, but hey, <laughs> um, I'm not in charge. So uh, anybody go want to go and make a make a bottom predict- three at the end of the season? Yes, you don't have QPR, to do it. QPR, Reading, Norwich. Norwich. Ooh. Ooh, no love for Chris Hutton there. No, I think he's, he's a such a man. nice Lots man. Lots of love too. for Chris Hutton. What makes you think Norwich? Um, Part, partly because they were outplayed by Luton when I went to see them in the FA Cup. And I thought, how can that be? Oh, it could be if Norwich really aren't very good. I like the fact that Norwich, as a club, between more than one manager, which suggests it is a, is a policy that Delia Smith has implemented, have decided to sign the entire Leeds midfield from three years ago. I think that's fantastic. Bradley Johnson, Johnny House and Robert Snodgrass. That wasn't even a good Leeds midfield. And now Norwich has got the that That is the best midfield for the Premier League. I think it would be QPR, Reading and Sunderland. Sunderland, interesting. That, that would have been my choice as well. Um, but not enough. now, not now. But clearly not now. Um, and, uh, and we'll get to that in our debate. I just... One other little point about Stoke, just because you hear about some people seem to be um, – they're no longer happy there. And, and, and I think they've come out and, and said, well, what do you want us to do? You know, we've got these years of in, in, in the top flight. We've never had a, um, a relegation um, uh, battle. Um, is, is it fair to have a go at Stoke? I mean, I know it's kind of a broader – a broader question about what our expectations are of a team, but I kind of when I saw this from, from some Stoke fans, I kind of said, "Well, what do you want?" No, they're acting very spoiled and ungrateful, Stoke fans, in my opinion. They have no right at all, no right at all. Given, given, yeah, I mean, not not dreadful resources, but modest-ish resources. They've they've well, harnessed, they've harnessed. They what they've done is harness. Uh, the atmosphere at the stage of Britannia really well um, but, so if that goes what's, what's Tony Pulis supposed to do you know, that, that's won them points in the past it's, it's the cauldron of the Premier League uh, I mean it's, it, that's just not my opinion if you put um, a measurement, a sound measurement in it's the loudest stadium and um, if you look at home results it's not quite the fortress that people say but hey well, they've only lost twice there this season but it's still pretty intimidating it's, no, it's, no, a, I'm, I'm not it's, it's an asset it's, it's definitely an asset and 
I don't know. If I was a Stoke fan, I would be in love with Tony Pulis. I have no idea wait, wait, where they're wait, turning so, Can I ask a question? Why would you be in love with Tony Pulis? Is it because, not, shout, is it because <sighs> despite being a manager, after, as, as witnessed by James Beattie, that despite being the manager and their... As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But not actually physically exerting himself at all during football matches. He still showers, showers and them. delivers his team talk to <laughs> naked after the game. Is that why you'd be in love with him? <laughs> but I'm a bit torn on Stoke because I think... Yes, it is quite ungrateful after four years in the Premier League to say this style, we, we want to play better football, we, this, is, this is getting us nowhere. But I can understand the fans that, who are saying, right, well, is this it? Do we now just finish between sort of 10th and 15th in the Premier League forever playing long ball football? I can understand that maybe, not necessarily change a manager, but there should, I, th- I feel there should be an impetus. They're established now. There should be an impetus t- to change the style a little bit and try and be better to watch. There's no reason. Why? Well, because I think people... I mean, I'm assuming the Stoke fans enjoy watching. No, I, don't, I think the impression I got on Twitter, commenting on, sort of tweeting about an Everton-Stoke game, was that there, there is a significant proportion of Stoke fans who are bored watching the football that they play, which has got worse. Pulis tried to change it a little bit the start of this season. It didn't really work, and he's gone back to, to what he's always done. But I can understand that, and this is a horrible word, but as consumers, they might want to... To watch a better product, they are, there's no re- you, you, there isn't a good manager would be able to take a long ball team and turn them into a better footballing outfit. They have some good players at Stoke. They have some very good players. Ma- people like Matty, Matty Etherington and I mean you, you, you're scowling, but they've got decent footballers who are capable of passing. There was a brilliant moment at Goodison Park where Stephen and Zonzi, who I think is excellent, I really like Nzonzi, was he's got that nonchalant sort of languorous stroll, and he got the ball in midfield, and he tried to play it short to Cameron Jerome, and Cameron Jerome gave him the most sort of intimidating, lacerating volley of abuse, pointing to the corner, saying, "Play it there, play it there," rather than play it into my feet. But there are players like Nzonzi at Stoke who I think would be more comfortable in a, in a style and it would be a test of a good manager to see whether Pulis could turn them from a sort of basic long ball team into something that's but better to watch. But I, that's, that's very valid what you just said. But Stoke fans really have to remember that when they came up, they came up uh, quietly and everyone said... Well, they came up because they came up second. Everyone forgets the team that comes up because they finish second in the championship. Everyone said, well, they won't last very long. They were training out of porter cabins 
they didn't have a goalkeeper at the start of their first season in the Premier League and Pulis said I'm just going to try and turn it into a team that can cope with Premier League stay there not come straight back down and he's he's established them in in the Premier League he's established them in the Premier League without that much money not that much money he hasn't bought that he has not bought I'd like to get a sense of what Alison says Do, do you know what I mean, I don't want to reduce everything to numbers, but if you look at net spend and and wage bill, um, Stoke have achieved what exactly what you expect in terms of their net spend and their wage bill. We're not talking about somebody who's done it on a shoestring. They have spent large amounts of money. They have a very big squad. you know, relative to what they are, obviously, and and I I, again, I'm just it's not it's not a criticism. I mean, he with those resources, he has done. What was he's done what the was most? Expected. The mo- but he's done the most of what was expected. He gave them a European adventure. I, I just, I just can't believe Stoke fans have suddenly become this unrealistic. If they'd been offered this five years ago, they, to a man and woman, would have said, "Oh no, yes, I, yes, please, we're in dreamland." Thank you. Diab, I agree with, I agree with you on that point. Yeah. Diab, who's going down instead of Sunderland now that the the Messiah that is Paolo Di Canio? Yeah, the Messiahs here. Um, that's a good question. I have to study the the fixture list more closely. I. I Again, having seen Villa play, I think that they're good, and I think Lambert will will, will do the job. She's Lambert this week because they lost. Um, I wonder if maybe we aren't taking it as just sort of a given that Wigan are going to stay up, um, because I don't think their running is great. So yeah, look, I'm sitting on a fence. My butt cheeks. Are say say one team. Just say, say one, one team. team. Come on, come on, make a decision. Vote, Gap. Vote. <laughs> Skinner's holding a, a gun to my head. I'll say Wigan. We had a different debate um, scheduled this week. Um, we're going to talk to Alison about religion, uh, religion in football, of course, not religion uh, in, in general terms. But, Although um, it would be nice if it sort of branched out into that. Uh, I'd like to get Alison Rudd's views on God. Do you believe in God, Alison? No, I don't. <gasps> really? And yet I got on very well with all the chaplains I met for my... Maybe, features yeah, on sports channels. It's funny because chaplains tend not to go around and, and being rude to people who don't believe in God, you know. Not Gen- anymore. Not, any- <laughs> yeah, not anymore. <laughs> yes. If you, if you traveled back in time 500 years ago. You'd have been uh, burned. I mean, you, yes, you would have been burned as some kind of heathen witch. Um, that would have made a much better debate. Exactly. Um, but Should speak- we burn Alison Rudd? <laughs> oh, no. no. You know no, what people no. are going to say. Speaking of uh, burning heathen witches or uh, warlocks, and uh, in, in this case, uh, Sunderland have a new manager. Um, Martin O'Neill's gone. Paolo Di Cagno's come in. This is cued um, a lot of debate, which we'll get into in a second. I wanted to ask, though, about um, Martin O'Neill because I spoke to George Calkin at the weekend, who unfortunately couldn't be with us because he's on a plane right now, and he kind of made the point that... Um, he suspected that O'Neill would have gone at the end of the season, that, that he wasn't happy, that something had gone wrong. I mean, certainly the performances hadn't been good. Um, and this had nothing to do with, with Fletcher getting injured, although, of course, that didn't help matters either. I just want to just, just more broadly, I, I mean, we've all worked in football. Can you kind of spot that in a manager when he yes. kind of realizes his time yes. is up? You have a good, oh, good? golly, yes, 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 you could with O'Neill, definitely. Definitely. In the, I uh, was at a couple of Sunderland games uh, within the last six weeks, and I, I was. I'm not being wise after the event. I was shocked at how he just appeared like fatalistic. Talked in terms of 
actually near the beginning of the season when they went to Norwich well mid-season was it I'm losing track of time but when they were nowhere near really a relegation battle he, start, he was the man who started talking about it it was it was it's like when you meet someone who's just determined to be miserable and you might say wow isn't it sunny and they go yeah but the forecast tomorrow is really isn't it? Okay, I know that you can use that four-letter words. I can because I'm a girl. Okay, yeah. right. But it, no, he, he's he's he's. I mean, he's he's been so so down on his resources and the, the way the team's performed. Uh, not if I, and, and, and you know, no one wants to say oh, well, someone should lose their job or whatever. But uh, if I was the man or person in charge of him being my employee, I, I would I would want to shake him. I'm not surprised he went at all because he was not. He wasn't giving it the love. He was very low, very low. I would say. Good. Okay, enough O'Neill. Yeah. Um, let's talk. Uh, uh, let's talk PDC. Um, my understanding again is that it's not the kind of thing where he's taking the job and they're like, "Oh, look, if you keep us up, you can keep you the job." Um, it's not an, an Alan Shear at Newcastle uh, situation. I think my understanding is they've got a plan. They've got a contingency. If we go down, I mean, obviously we want you. You're here because we think you can give us a jolt and so whatever else. If you go down, then you know we'll have this much budget. We'll look to do this. They've discussed the possibility. Um, if we stay up, um, then what are you going to do? And this is our budget, and this is what we plan on doing. First of all, is it wise to make that kind of longer term commitment? When, for all you know, because since every, and I am playing devil's advocate a little bit here, but since everybody tells me he's unproven in the Premier League, and so he could go and lose all seven games and something could be terrible, and then they're on the hook for another two years of his wages, along with the giant payoff they'll no doubt have to give O'Neill. Yes, that is stupid. What is stupid? To, to give him a deal that doesn't have a break in it at the end of the season. All right. So you think if they, they should have an out where if they get relegated... They both can, parties should have an out. It makes perfect sense. Okay, Alison. No, it, I think it's <gasps> sensible. I don't. I don't really see how you can sit in a room and talk about uh, contracts and belief in him as a man and a manager if you don't at least pretend to think we, we're thinking of you long term. And what you know, he's not going to feel great if they say there's a possibility you're going to take us down. Therefore, we don't want you afterwards. It's not, it doesn't build a, yeah. for a great relationship. Go for it. If you're going to make the leap of sacking your manager at this stage of the season, take a leap of faith I, with a new one. I don't agree with Alison in the sense that um, if Sunderland stay up, it will have been Martin O'Neill's team that stays up and Martin O'Neill's players who stay up and Martin O'Neill's methods who stay up. I mean, I think Paolo is very realistic about this. He's not going to go there and, and change the whole the whole setup. He's not going to go there and, and overhaul the team. I think what he's going to do is try to what were the things that O'Neill did that, that worked? These are the players. Um, are there little tweaks I can give? Can I push some buttons psychologically? But ultimately, it's these guys who have to take responsibility and keep them up. And I don't think you know, I don't think he's going to do anything so great that he's going to then go and take credit and be like, ha, 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 look at me. I kept them up. Paolo kept you up. Aren't I great? I really don't think he's going to do that. Um, but I wanted to ask the other big talking point, which has uh, dominated my life since I happened to write his autobiography 14 years ago, um, has been uh, uh, the man's uh, uh, political views. Um, I want to get from you guys a sense that is there is there a case to be made that when somebody has – political views that appear to be so so jarring um, to some um, or certainly get represented in a very jarring way uh, in the media 
let this become a debate within the football sphere? Well, I think the first thing we should do, Gab, is put you on the spot and say, which and it's going to be, it might, might be uncomfortable, and it puts you in a, in, a, in a difficult position. And I understand that. Here we go. Is Paolo Di Canio a fascist? Um, I think he's called himself that, and I think by by his definition of what it means. Um, he may consider himself that. What is his def- definition of what it means? I think when he's ready, he'll, you can ask him that. But you can get a view of of what he believes in by um, by reading his book. Um, I think <laughs> available from all <older> shops. <laughs> yeah, and if you travel back through time, um, no, I, I think one of the one of the key things here is that see, fascist is is, is a buzzword, right? Um, if you identify yourself as that. Then you, um, then you open yourself to you know implications that that you're a, you're a Nazi, you're a racist, you're whatever else. But you do you do it in England. You don't in Italy. That's my understanding. It's a different word in Italy. It, it is a different word. Um, so should, in Italy. should we be talking about how an Italian views the word fascist? Or well, how I think a, I think it's I think it's again I think where you go and identify yourself means something. Paolo is bilingual um, and. The, as far as I know, the only time he publicly identified as a fascist um, was in 2005 after, after that raised arm salute um, uh, to Lazio fans. Uh, and that was in Rome, and that was at the Stadio Olimpico, and that was in Italy. I mean, since then, he hasn't come out and said anything. Um, what I can say is that, in my experience, uh, you know, he's never had any shown any kind of proclivity towards um, racism um, or certainly Nazism or remember him once saying that you know the problem with a one party state is that there's no dialogue and the people in power always just want to stay in power and they don't look at how they can improve and and, and, and make themselves better um, which kind of flies into the face of accusations that you know he's in favor of some kind of totalitarian uber state um, you know he's Maybe if you just had Berlusconi for years and years, you want to stir it up with terms. Well, maybe, but I mean, I did. I think the other thing, um, you know, with this though, is that if David Miliband doesn't come out and announce his resignation, which I thought was interesting because I thought he was moving to the states anyway to go and take some kind of international job. I don't know if this would have been such an issue because it, it's mystifying to me how this guy was – this guy's worked in England for the last two years. His, uh, his political views um, have been known for a long time. Uh, he was a freaking columnist for the BBC website, um, which is paid for, by the way, by, by your uh, license fee. Uh, and people didn't seem, seem to have an issue with it. But then all of a sudden, Miliband resigns and this becomes a – becomes a major issue on a slow news weekend. So, so I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it for several reasons, the whole kind of Ditanio's a fascist witch hunt. One is because I think we're taking the context out of it, which is that, as Gab and I discussed earlier in private, that <laughs> the Italy in which Paolo Ditanio grew up, which Gab knows a lot more about than I do, was a much more politicised place than 20, 20, 2013 Britain, where the second largest party for a long, long time, for decades, was the Communist Party, and where being a fascist is being a fascist is not the same as being a racist or being a Nazi. I think that's that is something that has been lost completely in the coverage of Di Canio. Um, 
I think it's, it's very uncomfortable when we start saying whether people are allowed to have jobs or not because of their political beliefs, because that strikes me as being quite a fascist thing to do. I don't like that. Um, Probably don't like the fact that because it's a Premier League job, everybody's going, ooh, whereas he's allowed to manage in another division quite happily, well, where no one gets upset about. No, I think that that is a, a legitimate argument, but then it is the nature of... I guess the news media that if an artist who gets to, to number one, if Chris Brown hits Rihanna, that's of more interest and more note, rightly or wrongly, than if someone from a band who gets to number forty. That's a, an analogy I've stolen from Matthew Stanner on Twitter, uh, but it, I think is, is a valid point that 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 is the world we live in, and we kind of have to accept that that there is more scrutiny, more more glare on Sunderland than there, than there is on Swindon. What I don't understand is why we're pretending this is new. We've known. This is, this is old. We've always known this about Paolo Di Canio. And I'm very uncomfortable with the idea that his politics can be wrong. Surely it's a cornerstone of democracy that you are allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. Whether I, I don't agree with it. I'm not a fascist. I'm not a racist and I'm not a Nazi. But if that's what he believes, that's what he believes. You can't start discriminating against him because he doesn't believe what you think it is right to believe in a country where the Daily Mail is well, he a hasn't, But he hasn't been discriminated against. He's got the job. It's not like he's lost the jo- a job no, because, is, because David Miliband's resigned. You, well, I mean, Miliband has, has caused... That, I mean, that's what's brought it into the news officially right. is that Miliband, who, a man who is in favour of extraordinary, extraordinary rendition, has, um, <laughs> has said that he can't work with the club because of Ditanio's past political, political statements. And you've got the, the, you know, the, the miners and the anti-fascists in the North East saying that it's disgraceful, it's, it's a betrayal of the club's legacy. There is, do you not think there's a, there's, a, there's a movement within the media generally that this is now, and he's, he's an inappropriate person to be in charge of a football club? No, but you were saying you object to the fact that someone would be discriminated against for their no, beliefs, and he's, but no, he's, he's not just right, been sacked, he's just been appointed. Demonised because of his beliefs. OK, OK. But I retract my discriminated against. I think what we will find, I think what we will find is that people will start to wonder why David Miliband didn't have a chat with him before he resigned I mean why is David Miliband resigning uh, is uh, from a club he's had close connections with supposedly was really into um, without without on on the basis of a few wacky reports about a Lazio salute he hasn't spoken to him he hasn't spoken to him so he he comes out of it quite badly I think well I don't know would it it have been as big a story this would would Ditanio's sort of first three days at Sunderland have been quite as chaotic if Miliband hadn't resigned would, would the BBC News, yeah. which, which, okay. I, which I watched on Sunday night, reveal the story with the words, here's Damien Johnson, Paolo Di Canio has been uh, announced as the new Sunderland manager, he is a self-confessed fascist. There is no, that is unprecedented, that the second sentence on the BBC News about a manager is his political beliefs. I, I suspect that if you go and speak to a lot of managers, you'll find that they have a lot of very strange political beliefs. These are all very rich men. But they're not, not out. They're, they're not out. And the other thing is that their, their non-executive board members haven't resigned because of their political beliefs. So Miliband has, to an extent, I think, made this a story, more of a story. All right, time now for some quick hits. Everybody's favorite part of the podcast. Liverpool went away at Villa 2-1. Allison, it looked same old, same old to begin with, but then your buddy Suarez helped make the difference. Your thoughts, and please, a thought on Coutinho as well. Well, Coutinho, I'd have a lot more respect for him if he didn't have that silly thumb hole in his sleeve. Where I come from, you may as well wear a dress if you're going to do that. Um, and I think I think he's uh, he has vision and nice touch. I'm not sure physically if he's going to be as 
a success story in in the Premier League. Uh, I, 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 verdict's out for me on him. And uh, yeah, but it is the same old, same old Liverpool. They are bailed out by having two fabulous players in the side, uh, Gerard and Suarez. Uh, and that game against Villa could have gone either way. It was only Villa's inexperience that lost it for them. Arsenal have now won five of six following that four-one hammering of Reading. Uh, Rory, it's kind of coming together, yes? Or maybe no? If you were Wenger and had reasonable funds, uh, how many of that starting 11 would you be looking to replace? I think I would sign a central defender, a central midfielder, and a striker. So three. You know, tell us who you're ditching. Who am I ditching? Who you're I'm consigning to the dustbin of Gooner history. I'm ditching whichever central defender is playing alongside Laurent Tuchelny. I think Tuchelny's very good. Uh, I'm ditching the midfielder uh, would probably be, have to be Arteta. Although I think he's really good, Arteta. I like him. I think they need a, a more kind of physical presence alongside Jack Wilshere with Santi Tozola as the 10. And I suppose they need an upgrade on Olivier Giroud. Uh, Arsenal always look much better when there is no pressure. They can't cope with pressure. So it's no surprise now that I guess that things are against them. Sorry, I, not that they can't cope with pressure. They need, they need to be... They need to let themselves down first, and then they're quite good at making sort of making amends, which is the story of their of individual games this season and their season. Uh, I don't think they'll finish in the top four, though. Ooh. Spurs triumph at Swansea and remain on pace for the top four finish. Bale turns creative for Fertongen. Alison, your thoughts on the lovely Belgian? Yeah, I share the love. If um, if Belgium are the new Netherlands, then um, he's one of the reasons why. He's from the Ajax mould he is a total footballer I know he didn't want to play left back it's a bit slow and clunky but that was a knock against him People no, said, like, I didn't, never... no I didn't see that he no? didn't, well maybe he was slow and clunky when he was put, put at full back and he didn't want to be there but he played very well there and I do I do honestly think he's a sort of player that you could push in any position and they're not there aren't that many of them and uh He's, no, he's lovely. He's a lovely, lovely player. And he could end up being the unsung hero of Spurs' campaign when they get into the Champions League this season. Uh, Rory, somebody has to talk uh, about England. Um, thoughts on that game of two halves uh, in Montenegro? I am glad it is over. There you go. Uh, yeah, in England were kind of decent against a really poor team in the first half. They were awful against a sort of decent side in the second half. Um, and I think what we all have to just start to accept, and it's really hard to change people's perceptions and their expectations and all that but what England fans have to start sort of considering is that they are an average team and that is all they are they will get average results I'm sure I think they'll get to the World Cup and I think they'll probably get knocked out in the last six thing and that's kind of England and you know what there's no disgrace in that being one of the 16 best teams in the world at football is not too bad for most of the uh, last decade they've been uh, among the top eight exactly and maybe that was, was a success maybe that was a golden period for English football <laughs> and we just didn't realise it because we're all really greedy uh, Gab one for you uh, more records from some little fella called Messi at the weekend talk about that and then when you finish talking about that talk about the Champions League competition all right, so Lionel Messi scored in 19 consecutive league games, and because in Spain they very cleverly play everything sequentially, that means he has scored against every single um, opponent in La Liga. He's not the first person to do that. Uh, Cristiano did that before, but he did it consecutively. I think he's got 43 goals in La Liga this season. If he gets another seven in his last nine games, uh, which would be lower than his average this season, he will hit the 50-goal mark and equal the record he set last season. Um, just absurd numbers. Um, Champions League... Uh, Barcelona against Paris Saint-Germain. Um, I actually think 
Paris Saint-Germain have a shot. Um, I think they match up ex- exceptionally well um, with Barca. I think it's uh, it's the tie of the round. Juventus against Bayern uh, should also be, uh, I think, pretty pretty tasty. Uh, my other pick, since you ask, Roy. Um, Real Madrid Galatasaray, careful. I love the partnership of Barak Yilmaz and Didier Drogba with young Wesley in, beside, in behind, although Wesley's done nothing for Gala really since uh, coming on board. And uh, Malaga, Borussia Dortmund. Wouldn't it be great if the uh, Malaga fairy tale continued? That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. Thanks to my guests who came in today, Alison Rudd and, of course, Rory K. Smith. And isn't it so much better when we don't have some annoying heavy breather on the phone like Ollie K. Uh, come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email us, as so many of you do uh, every week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, we had one in particular we wanted to highlight this week, but I think we're going to save it because it was such an interesting email. Uh, it might make a wonderful debate topic. Isn't that right, Skinner? Yes. Thank you, Skinner. Always great to have Skinner contribute in more ways than one. You can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your reviews, your web chats, blogs, and analysis. My web chat is actually uh, on Tuesdays. It's today. I'm running off it, so you probably won't be able to catch me if you're uh, listening to this. But hey, you can catch me next week. Uh, Till next time. Bye-bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.